The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This morning, uh, driving down from the city, it was a little bit unusual. There was, I think, I counted four collisions in different, you know, 280. And um, so it's nice to be here and have this kind of uh, peaceful place to settle. And um, what I thought to talk about this morning or just share a few words about is related a little bit to this idea of accidents and mistakes and was reflecting on this as I had a little mistake with my foot <laughs> or accident a couple of weeks ago and uh, fractured a couple of uh, two of the metatarsal bones on, on top and, and it's fine and it's healing well and I'm very grateful for that and um, but when I was uh, you know, first happened and I was working with it at home, this line came to me from um, a, a, a teaching, um, a contemporary Buddhist teacher's teaching, and it's something like to fully experience the emptiness of, uh, yet to, or to fully know the emptiness of experience is to realize that impermanence is just another name for perfection. So that was the line, you know, impermanence is another name for perfection. And um, it's an interesting way of, I think it's a challenging way of phrasing um, a truth that we talk about a lot and that we experience a lot, which is impermanence, which is change. And in what way is impermanence itself perfection? And, you know, in any kind of accident or mistake or something, you know, we don't like, there's this thing, you know, I wish this hadn't happened. You know, whatever it X, wish X hadn't happened. And um, so to see it as perfection is... um, I think it requires a little bit of unpacking of what do we mean by perfection and what do we mean by impermanence. Um, I think perfection, in our usual way of thinking about this word, is um, has to do with, uh, at least the way I think about it, has to do with coming up to some kind of standard. You know, so a perfect score is getting everything right, you know. And um, we can go through a lot of our life trying to get the perfect score on everything. You know, that's one way of, that's one kind of, you know, way of being with um, experience is... uh, trying to come up to some standard that we have or some ideal. And that's, that's perfection. That's perfect. So, you know, the figure skater who is, <coughs> has put in so, so much, so many hours and years of dedication 
to um, execute a perfect um, spin or you know, whatever they do. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, in that what what the capacity of 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 human beings when we sort of put our put our energy into something. So maybe that's one kind of perfection. Um, but I think from the Dharma side, point of view, perfection flips, turns that around. And rather than coming up to some standard that we compare ourselves to or compare others to or compare our life to, um, perfection in the Dharma has to do with being outside of the realm of comparison. You know, what is it that something is beyond comparison that is so completely itself, that's so so uniquely itself that to compare it to something else doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, I mean, maybe one of the ways this, you know, we you know, I, that I've certainly sensed into this is with children or with babies, you know, and there's, we sort of know that, yeah, you know, you can go to the pediatrician and the baby can, the child can get measured. It's okay, they're in this percentile, they're in this thing, and this thing, or they can take a, some kind of standardized test and they're in, okay, they're in this percentile for reading, this percentile thing. But um, to um, really know a child and experience the child is to appreciate them in, 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 in their completeness as they are. Their, you know, one, one word for this is kind of like their suchness, you know, which is totally beyond comparison. You know, how could you compare one child to another? They're so, so um, originally themselves. Um, so that's a kind of perfection maybe. And so this idea of um, to fully accept things as they are is to appreciate their perfection. And when we're, when our mind is in the realm of comparison, pull, you know, we're, we're sort of pulled around by what we want, what we don't want, what we like, what we don't like. It's very hard to, to um, appreciate that perfection. So, um, and then how is this related to impermanence? You know, um, the other day I saw a film about a pediatrician, actually, a doctor in Japan. And right now he's quite old. And he, his name is Mayumi, Mayumi-sensei. And he's a little bit famous in Japan or in the kind of in the, the circles that are interested in natural health and these kind of things for being a doctor who doesn't give any medicine, you know. And so that's, you know, a little strange. The doctor doesn't give any medicine. And he feels that, um, and, he, and if, if there's a certain situation that calls for it, he he has ways of, of giving medicine. Or, but um, at least the situation that I've experienced in, in present-day Japan is that it's very common to go to the doctor 
for anything, for everything. You have a little sniffle, you go to the doctor. You have, you know, and they have a wonderful healthcare system and it's universal healthcare and it's, everybody has access to it. And it's, it's Western medicine and there's some Eastern um, medical roots to it as well. But, and you almost always get some kind of medicine. You get some powder that you put in, you know, it's like, I always say, what's this powder? You know, you have powder and you put it in your mouth and you take it with water. And um, he, Mayumi Sensei, this doctor, he believes that, um, not that medicine, that there's something bad about medicine, but that when we depend on medicine, we sort of lose our inner um, healing intelligence that the body has. And he, he, so he was saying in this, in this film that before 1940s, before the war in Japan, um, people were healthier than they are today. And children were healthier than they are today. He's old enough to remember this time. And he, he feels that one of the reasons uh, for the decline in health, especially for children, is the sort of modern lifestyle with, you know, um, heating and air conditioning and all these things. And, you know, here in where, where we live, where we are in, in Northern California, the temperature is pretty comfortable. I mean, it gets a little cold and, you know, we say it's freezing if it's, 50, <laughs> you know, 48 degrees or something or 50 degrees. And, but you can sort of get by without much heat or air conditioning, depending on the, the, what, your, what, the, what the house is like. In Japan, there are extremes of weather. So it's, the winter is very, very cold. The summer is very, very hot. And this doctor says um, that when we live in a very climate-controlled environment, the body loses its ability to regulate its own temperature. And so he, he was pointing out that children today in Japan, their core body temperature when it's measured, and they actually measure kids' temperature at school, like once a week or they do that, is much uh, lower than it used to be. And he was saying that um, the higher the core body temperature, the more the body can fight you know, germs and things like that. So um, somehow getting away from a natural way of, of living uh, has some effect on health. And, and so his point of view is that before we're human beings, we're animals, you know. And the, the more that we can sort of align and harmonize our lifestyle with nature, the more healthy we'll be. And I was thinking about this, and, 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 he, and this doctor, this person, he's a very compelling figure. He has a, a strong spiritual side, and he was saying that um, he's not afraid of death. And when he dies, he wants to just be left alone to the way an animal just stops eating and just slowly kind of fade away. And... Um, and I thought it was such a beautiful model of, a per, of, of spiritual maturity, not being something that um, to escape and transcend being human and to get to a place where 
there is no pain, there's no suffering, there's no impermanence, um, but rather to be someone who is um, one of the few people or is a, a, a model for um, not, being, not trying to escape uh, impermanence, not trying to resist our own impermanence. Um, and so when we are not resisting our own impermanence, when we are not um, resisting uh, the truth of impermanence, then maybe that's a doorway into this kind of perfection. Impermanence as perfection. Um, so, The other um, teaching that it reminded me of is this um, on the topic of perfection. I think it comes from the Tibetan tradition of the five perfections. If you've heard that before. um, It's another one of these, I think it just turns the mind in a certain way from being in the realm of um, comparing mind in the, in the realm of what, how I want things to be rather than how they are. And so the teaching of the five perfections is, um, well, so it starts with the perfect time. You know, so these, see, these are all perfections around practice. So what, it, what is the perfect time to practice? You know, <laughs> so the, the perfect time to practice, you will, probably won't be surprised to, to, to learn is now. <laughs> Perfect time to practice is now. And now, no matter what is happening now, no matter what we think of now, no matter, um, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, I just want to send, I just want to do that, get one more, maybe I'm too busy to, meditate now or um, well I just want to read one more book about meditation then I'll be ready to <laughs> then I'll be ready to you know practice mindfulness um, so this is challenging again our, our, our usual way of thinking that um, whatever is happening right now is valuable and is worth paying attention to worth being with worth um, understanding, worth looking at, worth accepting. So the perfect time to practice is now. And then the, the second perfection is the perfect place. You know? And <laughs> is, it, is it in Asia? Is it in, a, you know, is it in Burma? Is it in, you know, maybe if we're in Burma right now, it, it, it's, it's Burma. But um, <laughs> it turns out that the perfect place to practice is here exactly where we are. Um, and we're always here. And we're always, um, we, um, the, the conditions are always enough. There's always, it, you know, to just simply notice. This is simply um, be where we are rather than um, giving in to that idea or that movement of mind that's somewhere else, it's somewhere else, you know. 
how come wherever I am, the better place to be is always somewhere else? <laughs> we, start to, we start to see these, these patterns. So the perfect time is now, the perfect place is here. The perfect teaching, perfect teaching is um, this moment, whatever is happening, whatever is, you know, I stub my toe, I hurt my foot, I, I embarrass myself by saying some wrong thing or um, this is the teaching that this is the request of the moment, you know. And it may not be the teaching that we're looking for. And it may not be the teaching that we think we, you know, I want to be studying, you know, um, the jhanas, or, you know, not or something, something, uh, some, some, some exalted state of meditation. I don't want to be dealing with, you know, uh, you know, a painful foot or a painful emotional state or, um, or some other uh, way that my life has twisted and turned in an unexpected way. You know, so a lot of times we, because in our tradition, one of, the, one of the wonderful things and one of the challenging things is the practice of going away on meditation retreat. And while retreat is wonderful, it's also um, sometimes we can, we can think that real practice only happens on retreat. You know, and so just like, I'm just kind of treading water here until I can get on retreat again, you know, and that, and that idea. And then what happens if we've signed up for retreat and we're all ready to go and something happens and something in our life and the circumstances are such that I can't go on retreat or um, I, it doesn't seem wise, it doesn't seem compassionate, it doesn't seem, you know, I need, I need to be with what's happening in my life right now. I need to take care of someone in my life. And then, then we might remember this teaching about the perfect teaching. And so the perfect teaching isn't necessarily at Spirit Rock, at IRC, at, so, you know, um, wherever. The perfect teaching is relating to whatever is in front of us and whatever is happening in our life and whatever is requesting our attention and our care. And so it may be that it's a much more valuable teaching to let go of going away on retreat and be fully in our life and be with what's happening in our life in an in a open way and in a compassionate way. So that's, that's the perfect teaching. Um, so the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect teaching, the perfect teacher. This, this, is, a, this is a good one. You know, um, is it... Is it better to have a teacher who never makes mistakes, you know, who is just so smooth, who's so perfect, who's so composed, who, who is sort of like uh, up there, on a, wherever there is, <laughs> you know. But there, the problem with there is it's a little far away, <laughs> you know. Or is it better to have a teacher who... Um, is open about their faults, who makes mistakes, 
but is willing to practice with them and is willing to show their humanity and isn't trying to hide their vulnerabilities or hide their, hide their weaknesses. Um, although one of the things my Zen teacher has said is, the first thing that a student learns from the teacher is their bad habits. <laughs> it's the teacher's bad habits. So, you know, um, it's, an, it's an interesting question. What is the perfect teacher? What is the perfect teacher for me? And, um, and so the way I relate to this is to the perfect teacher is whichever teacher is in front of me, whichever teacher, whichever person I'm learning from becomes the perfect teacher. And we can learn a lot from, from someone else's mistakes as well as from someone else's um, good points. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so, so, and then the, f- the fifth one is the perfect student. <laughs> so who is the perfect student? Um, the perfect student in this model is us, is you, is, you know, is, is this idea that we have um, everything that we need, you know, uh, right now, right here, to practice. And um, I think this is one of the hardest ones to, you know, it's like um, we can go a long time in practice feeling that we've never quite measured up, never quite enough, or never quite got it, you know. Um, they've got it, and I don't. Um, and so this teaching, I mean, the perfect student is me. You know, um, that um, in this realm of beyond, beyond comparison, um, I don't have to wait to do this. And I didn't miss anything. I didn't miss, you know, it hasn't passed me by. It's not, you know, there's something to get that I haven't gotten. It's, um, that itself is the, is the, um, in the realm of comparing mind. That itself, that very idea is, is what this is calling into question. And, you know, so this is something that they often, uh, I, I feel like this is, it's talked about more in the Zen teachings, but this idea of when you can accept your own perfection, um, you can accept your own enlightenment. You know, it's, it's this idea of that uh, somehow something is missing is actually what keeps us stuck. Um, so, um, so these are the teachings of the five perfections. And there is a poem that I think, you know, in the way that poetry can sometimes also just bring, bring this, I want to read it because I don't want to um, forget, forget a line, but there, there's a way that poetry can sometimes bring this out in a, in a, in a way different than, than sort of logical thinking. 
So this is another of these short um, poems by Dogen, who was the Japanese founder of the Soto school. And um, so being illuminated by the moon, dwelling in the quiet mind. Being illuminated by the moon, dwelling in the quiet mind. Even waves are breaking down and becoming the light. Being illuminated by the moon, dwelling in the quiet mind. Even waves are breaking down and becoming the light. Sometimes we have this idea about um, that the purpose of meditation is to is to sort of get rid of the waves, right? You know, calm the waves, these mind waves of thinking and uh, you know uh, memory and fantasy and emotions and thinking again you know, so these are, the, these are the mind waves and so sometimes in Dharma they talk about when, when the waves are totally absent you know the water is perfectly calm um, and then the moon can perfectly reflect on the water you know? and, um, and this is one side of our practice and it's a beautiful beautiful possibility for a human mind to calm itself and, and, and come to a place of peace and come to a place of perfect stillness. Um, without taking anything away from that, what I think this poem is questioning is, is this, is this, is this the point? You know, is it, is it really about stopping the waves? Is it really about stopping our thoughts? If you think about meditation as a microcosm of our life, are we really, is that what we're really trying to do? Stop all the activity of our life and get to a place of perfect peace in our life? Um, Those moments may happen. Those moments may be beautiful moments. But, so rather than um, that model of what meditation is, what practice is, I think this is suggesting, um, so, so rather than sort of uh, pacifying the contents of our life, the contents of our mind, this is pointing to a full accept, meditation and practice as being fully accepting the contents of our mind. And you kind of sense the difference in that, you know, Rather than these mind waves as, some, as a problem, as something to get rid of, what is it to fully accept them? Be so um, without, without comparing, without clinging, without um, needing it to be a certain way or needing it to be another way. It's just fully accepting the mind waves. Um, then, as, as Rose says, the, the mind waves themselves are light. 
you know, the thought, the feeling, the sensation itself is appreciated in its suchness. That there's nothing, there's, there, they are the moonlight. You know, in this model, the moonlight is sort of perfection. The moonlight is the, the ultimate. And the moonlight is not different from the waves. The waves themselves are breaking down and becoming light. So um, I, th- I love this. It's just this kind of, um, it, it's, it's such a, a wonderful reminder that we're not, um, it's not about, uh, that the, the, the mind waves are not, the problem. The mind waves are actually light. But when we relate to them um, as a problem, when we cling to them, when we, when we think they're a mistake, when we think they should be otherwise, then yes, they're waves that will make us um, motion, give us motion sickness. <laughs> you know, when we can be with our experience with some kindness, some ease, some acceptance, uh, some understanding that the way it is, is the way it is. And um, then we're able to um, sense into this perfection um, and, and see that the perfection is not other than impermanence. The impermanence is not other than perfection. And another name for this impermanence and this perfection is Buddha. It's, um, so those are some, some reflections on having a broken foot. And, <laughs> um, and Like I, I think this is a challenging teaching, and but I think it's also um, it can also open a door. You know, it's that 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 there are there isn't a barrier to um, to 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 this to this way of being in any moment, no matter the circumstances. Um, and yes, it's easier to s- say everything's perfect when things are pretty pleasant and comfortable. And, um, and, but sometimes the gift of difficulty, the gift of loss, the gift of uh, the painful and the unpleasant is, um, it, it brings out something in us of, a, of, a, of uh, the, something that we, um, that hadn't been, it stimulates something in us to, to meet the moment in, and, and confront it in, you know, you can't stay, you can't go. You know, it's like the impossibility of being here, possibility of being with, you know, you have some, some big pain and it's like, what are you going to do? You, you know, it's happening. <laughs> and, and, and then, the mind can let go, you know, it's like, okay. And, and you know, and then something can shift. So, um, so thank you very much. For, and 
we do have a few minutes and wonder if you have any thoughts on this topic. Well, I have more questions. So I have heard this notion before that perfection and impermanence is one of the same, but it's not entering things. I'm wondering if you can expand more on that, please. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> um. I think it because it, it you know it runs counter to our um, our usual way of seeing things because um, often impermanence is um, in, in impermanence makes us deal with the 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 problem that of how things are versus how I want them to be, you know. So we, sometimes impermanence is great. When something bad is happening and it changes, we're happy. But um, basically, um, I think there, there is something in our conditioning, in our human nature to, to want something enduring, to want something safe and secure. And the teaching of impermanence and the truth of impermanence, you know, it's, it's a challenge to that. You know, so if, if perfection is um, everything is exactly the way I want it to be, then no, impermanence is, is very far from perfection a lot of the time. So that, that's a little bit why I think that um, to say impermanence is another name for perfection, it requires a different understanding of perfection. You know, and so what I was saying earlier is that it's like perfection in the sense that everything is perfectly itself. Everything is so completely itself. It's beyond the, the realm of comparing. You know, so in what, and so you know, so in what way, you know, is experience so completely itself that, you know, um, you can't compare it to anything else? You know, sometimes you have this when look at a, a work of art or um, I was saying, you know, the way a child is, you know, so original and so uniquely herself or himself that... It doesn't make sense to say, well, you know, how come you're not like your brother? Or how come, you know, if we do that, I mean, we say, you know, in certain ways, but we know children are, they, they, come, they come into this world with their own temperament, their own disposition, and they have their own, own destiny, and we each have our own destiny. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of... Um, seeing perfection a slightly different way than we're used to seeing it. Um, and so I think it, it, in the Dharma's understanding, it means 
not separating from our experience, totally accepting the moment the way it is. Even though I want it to be otherwise, even though I wish I hadn't hurt my foot, this is the way it is. So, and to be with that. And to, um, it doesn't mean we love it, you know, it, it, but we're willing to be with it. Um, so, you're welcome. I just remembered right at the end of your talk that at times when I've tried to picture, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on on elongating life, especially right now in the valley and that kind of impermanence and um, or permanence, and uh, I there was just a shift where I. Life doesn't make any sense if we don't mm. die. Mm. And then I was picturing that right at the end of this talk, like, what if everything I experienced never changed? Right? Nothing ever changed. <laughs> it would be, it wouldn't make any sense. And it wouldn't have any value. So, a very different kind of value. So it... It was just this moment of opening up into that, the the miracle in a way, is the coming and going, that it ever exists at all. You know? Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And of course, if I apply that to my own states of consciousness, <laughs> <laughs> and I did have a question then that came up, and I. Maybe I know the answer. Maybe I, there's an answer. I don't know. But enlightenment is sometimes portrayed as a type of permanence. Mm. So yeah. that's my question. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that is it portrayed that way? And if it isn't a permanent state, then what is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, and just first to say for your for your first comment that I I agree, and it's very interesting just to reflect that if there were no change, if there were no impermanence, there couldn't be any growth. There couldn't be any, you know, um, you know. This is what gives the dynamic you know um, brilliance to existence is this change is this change so um, in response to your question I'll tell you I'll just I'll just say the story and then maybe say a little bit more about it but uh, when I went to um, uh, sit at a meditation retreat with someone who is considered to be maybe one of the greatest um, masters in in living in Japan. So, you know, one of the the masters, great masters. And we each uh, came to him and asked a question. And so my question was sort of the question you asked. My question was, um, 
the Dharma teaches us that everything changes, but what, what is the one thing that doesn't change? You know. <laughs> it was something, I guess something like that. What is the one thing that doesn't change? Or what doesn't change? Or what is and he, he laughed. He looked at me and he said, impermanence. <laughs> you know, and um, so it, 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 you know, when, you, when I when I think about that, and then I, you know, think about your question, it's sort of to me like the. Um, does it make sense to think about enlightenment as a state of consciousness that doesn't change? Or is enlightenment the full experience of this, full ongoing experience, moment to moment, of this impermanence and the perfection of it? You know, and then... um, you know, and then it's it's because to say that it's some enlightenment is something that doesn't change. It sort of suggests that there's a person who's enlightened. You know, and then is that really accurate to say that? You know, are there enlightened people? You know, or is it so? Is it more that there is enlightened activity? You know, when there's enlightened activity. Um, there isn't a person there. You know, there's just this opening to the moment, moment to moment to moment. And um, so so then it's sort of like the question itself becomes, um, uh, you know, the premise of the question is, uh, you know, is undermined. You know, in a way, and and that I that to me feels more um, helpful. You know that there are, there are, there are moments of enlightenment and moments of enlightened activity, rather than some essence, some core of a person who gets enlightened. Because, well, wait a second, who is it? You know, is there is there some unchanging person? Or is, you know, the, the enlightenment itself is seeing through the illusion of the separate self. So, um, anyway, if that's helpful. But yeah. <laughs> Okay. I've never, ever, ever, ever done this in a Dharma talk before. Maybe not again, but during the Q&A, I actually pulled something up on my cell phone. (laughs) An old article called Rethinking Perfection that um, talks about the open-ended process view of perfection. Mm. It's an article called Rethinking Perfection that was published on the Huffington Post in 2010. And I have to take my glasses off. It says, uh, 
um, there isn't really any final state of completion. Um, uh, the process view of perfection has no dead ends. It's just a way. It's open-ended. You just go from one moment of perfection to another and on to another. It allows you to see your entire life as an unfolding work in progress, as an ever-changing blossoming of perfection. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pavel I, I, re- I remembered that, so I pulled it up. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I, I like that. I, th- and I think that how can we ever be done with practice? How can we ever be perfected when there's another moment about to happen? You know, there's, a, there's another moment to, to be with, another moment to respond to. So I think in a way that... Um, I like that idea of rather than sort of like um, yeah for me that opens things up rather than closes them it's like how wonderful you know there's always another moment there's always another chance to um, connect with the the perfection of things so so thank you John Thank you very much. Enjoy your week. See the perfection this week.